You're listening to episode number 76 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, where it's all about smart, efficient training so you can crush your cycling goals. And now, your host, Coach Rob Manning. Welcome to episode number 76 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. Before I get started with today's show, which is the five things that the best cyclists do at the end of the cycling season, I want to give you a heads up that the website, the Tailwind Coaching Blog, the online training plan store, and of course my episode show notes receptacle are all located at tailwind-coaching.com. If you want to get updates on what's going on in the blog or exclusive discount codes, things like that, go ahead on over to tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up and sign up for the Tailwind Coaching Newsletter. You'll get something about once a month, uh, plus any specials or anything else that's going on at the time. And you can find my most popular podcast episodes, posts, training tips, and affiliate links at tailwind-coaching.com resources. Do me a favor, head on over to the episode show notes for this particular episode, which is tailwind-coaching.com 76, and click on the link to rate this podcast on iTunes. Um, if you like what you're hearing, throw it a five-star rating. And the more five-star ratings that I get, the further I can move up those podcasting ranks, the more the show gets seen, the more it gets heard, and the more people get to actually enjoy riding their bikes just that little bit more, which is really what the Tailwind Coaching Podcast is all about. It is a free podcast. I don't charge for it because I like getting people out, riding their bikes, and enjoying the idea of being on a bike and loving their bike. If you want to get a hold of me, you want to contact me, you want to ask me questions, you can shoot me an email at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can follow me on Strava. You can follow me on Stitcher for the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. You can contact me on the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page, or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at CoachRobDC. And of course, I want you to take advantage of a 10% discount for all of my loyal listeners, uh, the Podcast 10, Podcast 10 at uh, checkout for any of my training plans, my downloadable training plans, that'll knock 10% off your purchase. So with all that out of the way, let's get to the meat and potatoes of today's show, the five things that the best cyclists do at the end of the cycling season. And these are things that are really designed to prep you and help you out and get you going for the next season. All right. So without further ado, let's jump right into these. Okay. The number one thing that I'm going to recommend that most cyclists do if they're really, really a good cyclist, if they're really dedicated or they're really into what they're doing, they have real set and solid goals, is to get fit to your bike again. What do I mean by again? Most people get fit to their bike at least at the beginning of the year or when they make some kind of change. The main issue here is that your body will change during the season. Your body will change during the cycling season. No matter what you do, your body changes. Even if your body you know, changes the least little bit, it's efficient and it's a good idea to get refit to your bike. So during the season, as you progress, as you gain fitness, as you build through a season-long training program, through your goals, through your 
you know, your objectives, which are those really season-reaching, overarching season-wide goals and objectives, you're going to change flexibility, your muscular strength will change, your endurance will change, your range of motion in your joints will change, all right? The amount of time you can spend in the drops changes. The amount of time you can spend with your elbows bent to 90 degrees in that sort of Belgian position with your hands on the hoods and your forearms resting on the tops of the bars, that will change. Your ability to do things like drop, drape your forearms over the bar tops and just dangle your hands like you're on a time trial bike, that will change as well. Why would you get refit? Staying in the same position for years on end can lead to a loss of power, can change your performance for the worse, could potentially lead to an overuse type injury. Once your body adapts to a position, your body wants to stay in that position. Potential overuse scenarios begin to crop up when you stay in the same position for a long period of time. Most of you know that if you're on a long ride, you have to get out of the saddle once in a while, otherwise, the undercarriage, it kind of goes numb. Um, gentlemen who are listening to this, you're going to know that doesn't feel so good. Ladies that are listening to this, you're definitely going to know that does not feel good. You really don't want to feel that in any way, shape, or form or at any given time. So you know you have to get up and move around a little bit. Well, just like you move around on a long ride, why would you not, quote, move around, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes right now. Why would you not move around during a season on your bike? You don't stay in the same position all the time on a ride. Why would you stay in the same position all the time during the season? You should really think about getting your bike refit at the end of the season. I mean, really, you should be doing it a couple of times a year, but that's an entirely separate podcast. Right now we're talking about the end of the year, the fall and winter time, which are the perfect time to get your bike refit. Now, it's important to remember this. Fall and winter is a good time to do that because adapting to a new position takes your body some time. What better time to adapt to a new position than during the winter? You don't have any major goals. You don't have to be on a time frame to build a specific amount of fitness in a specific amount of time, and more than likely, the amount of time you're going to be riding and the intensity at which you're going to be riding is going to be a lot less than it would be during the middle of a season. Now, you can more thoroughly really appreciate the benefits of that fit when you really have a chance to spend a little bit of free time in the saddle without having to, again, be a slave to a training program, without having to have a goal hanging over your head or an objective hanging over your head. You see, the extra saddle time that you have in the winter will allow your body to adapt to that new positioning a little bit more efficiently. The higher the intensity of training that you are doing, the harder it is going to be on your body if you attempt to adapt to a new position. You follow what I'm saying here? So if you're doing VO2 max intervals at 120% of your functional threshold power for three minutes at a time, and you're doing, say, nine of those, which is a very typical workout for one of my late build or criterium-type workouts or something else that I would give to a one-on-one -on -one client who's really looking at pushing the upper envelope of their VO2 max. 
If you're doing those nine by three minutes at 120% of threshold, that's a lot of muscular force, a lot of stress that's going through your joints and through your body. It's going to be a lot worse to adapt to a new cycling position, new position on your bike, if you're doing intervals of that type of work. There's much less stress on your joints, on your body, if you're not pushing hard through those kind of high-intensity intervals. If you're doing that longer, slower, more gradual, more casual type of riding, that more endurance type of riding, your technique and skill-based types of riding, those are going to be much easier to adapt to a new position in, assuming that that's going to be making up a significant portion of your fall or winter programs. Now, it should be said that I'm not advocating that you avoid hard efforts while you're breaking in that new position. Far from it. You just need to realize that that easier riding will help to ease your body into that new, frequently more aggressive position. It'll reduce your injury risk. And in theory, in the long run, you're going to see larger gains by taking the time to properly adapt your body, as opposed to just throwing it into a new position and hoping that it's going to work out well. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody in the middle of the season decide to make a radical change to their position. You know, add 20 millimeters to their stem and slam it and flip it upside down so that now they're at zero degrees instead of plus seven degrees or something like that. And suddenly the next thing you know, well, where's Mike? Oh, Mike's got a hamstring problem, or Mike has a knee problem, or Mike has an ankle problem, or he's got a foot problem, or something else. More often than not, the more aggressive the change you're making, the more or the greater the potential for some kind of overuse injury or some kind of acute type injury. So take that time in the fall, take that time in the winter when you're just doing those easy rides, when you're just pedaling on the trainer inside and trying to get some technique work done. That's going to be your opportunity to really adapt to a new bike fit. So number one, get your bike fit to you again at the end of your cycling season. If that's what you're really looking to do is to really maximize your power and really maximize your efficiency. Now, let's move on to number two, the number two thing that good cyclists do at the end of the season, and that is bank a few extra miles. In the past, I've advocated that cyclists really don't need a traditional base training phase. Now, by traditional base training phase, I'm talking about the typical base training that you would see in a professional cycling program. All right, these are those five-hour rides, those low, slow, high-volume zone two type rides. And I've advocated for a long time. In fact, I'll put a link to this previous podcast in my episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 76. There is no need for that traditional long, slow, high-volume base training approach. However, however, there is still a place for endurance training in your training program. I have never, never argued that. In fact, in most of my downloadable programs, the endurance training component comes when you're trying to knock out technique work or skill-based work or neuromuscular capacity work. That's the perfect time to be doing some kind of endurance training because that neuromuscular capacity work, that skill-based work, is in its heart not designed for high-intensity interval work, not initially anyway. 
So endurance training is usually covered during those neuromuscular skill days. But why is endurance training still important? You just told me you don't need lots and lots and lots of it. But why is it still important? Well, endurance training really is the overarching basis for all of your cycling fitness. After all, cycling is an endurance sport. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, cycling is at its, heart, at its heart an endurance sport, and it relies on your body's ability to rack up miles and saddle time in order to improve. Now, there are plenty of ways to improve endurance that don't involve those long, slow uh, zone two miles, and chances are you're not going to want to sit on the trainer and ride for several hours per day in that zone two endurance training you know, block. Right? Especially those of you who, like me, are in the Northeast, and we do most of our winter training on an indoor trainer. Get the hell out of here, man. There's no way I'm going to sit on the trainer for four hours just pedaling away at Zone 2 watching, like, Airplane and Oprah and stuff like that. Well, I'm never going to watch Oprah, but watching Airplane and Spaceballs and stuff like that. No shot. If I'm watching Spaceballs, you better believe I'm sitting in the recliner having a beer while I'm doing it. Certainly not sitting on doing zone two high volume work. All right. Now, if you're following most of my programs or most of my thought processes here, I approach things a little differently. I approach things from the lower volume, higher intensity platform. And to combat the loss of saddle time, all right, that you're going to have in the winter months, especially because there's a lot of holiday commitments and things like that. So you are going to lose saddle time. One of the best things that cyclists who are really thinking ahead will do is bank some extra mileage, all right? They're going to bank as many extra miles as they possibly can put in during that fall and early winter phase, all right? Most of the season, you've been doing a really heavy schedule of high-intensity interval workouts, um, really very specific workouts that are designed to take you to a specific goal and really push your fitness beyond for a particular goal. Your body, your mind are probably pretty tired after that whole long season. I know for a certain fact that mine definitely are. Now, here's the point that I need to make with banking miles and why I'm sort of deviating a little bit here and saying that, you know, you've done a lot of high intensity work and your body's tired, here's the thing, you really don't need to be doing a lot of high-intensity work in the fall and winter months, all right? Your fitness is going to naturally wane. It's going to decline as the fall and winter season starts to fall into place, and that's typical, and it's actually recommended because that's your body's chance to recharge and rebuild itself a little bit before you start breaking it down again in your build-up to your spring and summer events. Take some time away during the fall and early winter. Take some time away from your power meter. Take some time away from your garment. Ride for fun. One of the things that got a lot of response was I posted a, an Instagram photo of myself maybe a month and a half ago or so. The only thing that I was tracking on that ride was my cadence. That was it. The only thing that I was tracking was cadence. I was just making sure that my legs were still moving forward and I was still going forward. I didn't need power. I didn't need three second power. I didn't need power balance, which is tough to get on a stages anyway, but that's beside the point. 
I didn't need all of those metrics. I didn't need recovery metrics. I just need to know that my legs were still turning. That was the only motivation that I needed that particular day to get up and go. All right, so turn down that road that you've never been down, that you know leaf-covered dirt road that you've never been down. You know, look around at your surroundings, see what happens to be around you. I've got to tell you, for one of the first times on one of my regular training loops, a loop that I probably ride 40 or 50 times a year, for the very first time I realized that there was a ruined building, an 18th century ruin on that road. I didn't know because most of the time when I happened to go by that ruin, I was had my head buried in my garment doing some kind of interval. Fall is the perfect time to just put in some basically directionless saddle time and let the route dictate your training. And I use training in the most basic sense. If there's a hill, attack it. If you want to. If there's a flat and you want to hammer it, hammer it. There's a descent and you want to kill it, do it. If you don't feel like it, then don't. Just pedal your damn bike. How about that? The mental relief of being able to just go out and ride to bank those extra miles for that winter season before you really start the structured training is worth its weight in gold. Mental capacity and mental relief is so important at this point in the season. Stepping away from those high-intensity, strict structure intervals gives your mind a chance to rest, and it gives your body a chance to rest, and it gives both of them a chance to recover and rebuild and be prepared to really jump off into the winter season, the late winter season, get into your base phase, and really start building some significant fitness, really start working towards your objectives and towards your goals. Okay, so number two, banking some extra miles is one of the keys for most great off-season programs. Now, let's move on to number three, and that is evaluating the cycling season that just passed you by. All right, so who should be evaluating their cycling season? Well, many people that don't really have a race don't have a goal that pits them against somebody else or pits them against the time limit, they believe that they don't necessarily need to evaluate the season that just went by. Those people could not be more wrong. No matter what your goals, what your objectives, evaluating the strengths and weaknesses that you displayed in the previous season is one of the absolute important key steps at the end of any cycling season. It doesn't matter whether you're a professional, whether you're an amateur, whether you're a semi-pro, whether you race criteriums, whether you race road races, whether you ride Grand Fondos, or whether you just simply go out and ride with group rides. You absolutely need to evaluate your season. And I'm actually pounding my own fist here because it's so critically key important that you get out and you need to actually understand, get out, step out of the, well, my goal, I didn't meet my goal. Step out of that and understand why you didn't meet it. Or I did meet my goal. Understand what held you back from doing even better 
than you had expected. Evaluate what you're good at. Most people know what they're good at. I'm a good climber. I'm a great time trialer. I can really, really sprint well. Great. What are you not good at? Most people have a really hard time expressing and understanding what they're not good at. And that's a really key, important thing that you need to understand and really learn how to do. So here's a few basic questions for you to answer. Now, I have a podcast on this. Before I get into these questions, here's a podcast for you. Uh, Analyzing Your Cycling Season, which you can check out in the episode show notes for this particular podcast, which is tailwind-coaching.com slash 76. You can get some real uh, in-depth details on analyzing your cycling season. And that one I highly recommend uh, for you to check out because it's going to be a, a key to really the next thing that we talk about in this list. Um, but for those of you who haven't listened to that or just need a bit of a refresher, here are the basic questions you need to ask yourself. Looking back at your season goals, did you meet them? Did you meet your season-long objectives? Remember, objectives are different from goals. Objectives are the season-long expectations and the season-long things that you need to work on, which will help you achieve your goals. A goal is a very specifically defined piece of time or a race or a grand fondo or a placing or a podium, something of that nature, something that has concrete, and I do mean very concrete, it has to be something that you can measure, concrete and measurable outcomes. All right. Did you meet your goals? Did you meet your season-long objectives? Here's a newsflash for you. If you didn't meet one of your season objectives, chances are if you didn't meet one of your season goals, the reason you did not meet that season goal is you didn't catch the objective either. So right there you have a pretty good understanding of what you need to do. But did you meet your goals? Did you meet your objectives? If you did, what parts of your fitness actually held you back from achieving above and beyond what goals you set and what objectives you set? Which parts of your fitness and what parts of your cycling allowed you to succeed and meet some of those goals or some of those objectives or all of those goals and objectives? This is a critical thing to be able to do so that you can do number four on the list, which is really truly addressing your weaknesses. At the end of any cycling season, whether it, you know, whether I was three years into racing or, you know, three years into riding or three years into racing. Let's talk about that. Once I've evaluated my season and figured out what my weaknesses were for that particular season, it was always a plan of how do I minimize these weaknesses? How do I make sure that these weaknesses do not outshine my strengths? How do I take these weaknesses and minimize them so that my strengths can really shine through. All right, here's a simple example of myself. The first couple of years that I raced criteriums and road races, I, I had, and I still do have, a really good fast finish for a guy of my size and my build. All right, I could very easily sprint with some of the best guys, some of the big, heavy, sprinter-type guys. 
Right? I can very easily do that. However, I didn't win nearly anything. Why? Because I always lacked the ability to get to the finish line with those guys. I rarely even had a chance to get that sprint uncorked because there was either a positioning mistake, there was a tactical error, or I simply just didn't have the longer duration VO2 max type fitness in order to be able to stick with those top 10 guys through that last lap. So something was preventing me from being able to utilize that sprint. And once I figured out what it was, I really had the ability to work on it and put a lot of time into working on it. Of course, consequently, once I did do that, then I ended up losing my entire season to a couple broken bones and a crash. So it kind of went out the window. But the ability to hang on that last lap was the key to being able to actually sprint solidly. Now, I consult with a lot of cyclists. And for the most part, there are a few glaring weaknesses and what they, basically, what their fitness is. Number one weakness that I tend to see in cyclists is a core strength and stability weakness. I've harped on it in the past. I did a podcast on it called The Truth About Cycling Core Strength. It's, in fact, one of my most popular podcasts to date. Out of all 76 episodes that I've recorded, that's probably one of my most popular podcasts to date, and I recommend that you go listen to it. There's a link in the episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 76. Look under number four heading, prepare to address weaknesses, and there's a link to the truth about cycling core strength. You're going to get a lot of in-depth info about why your core is so important. But suffice to say, it is one of the keys to you being able to ride effectively and effectively reach your goals. You have to be able to maintain power. You have to be able to resist fatigue. Otherwise, you simply cannot perform to the level you want to. Period. End of discussion. One of the other major glaring weaknesses that I tend to see in the cyclists that I consult with is a muscular strength and endurance weakness. I just saw a couple of articles about strength training for cyclists, and it boggles my mind that to this day, people believe that cycling does not have a strength component to it. It boggles my mind. How many people are resistant to getting their ass off the saddle and doing some kind of work off the bike? Now, I know I sound aggravated and I sound aggressive about it. But for the love of God, people, you want to be the best you can be. That means get your butt off the saddle and do something off the bike. It is that important. It is so important that the professionals do it. So many people tell me, well, I, I ride, you know, 30 hours a week during the base phase. I do that high volume, low intensity stuff that all the pros do. You know what you don't do that the pros do? And that is get off the bike and do some kind of strength and conditioning work, whether it's cross training, whether it's lifting weights in the gym, whether it's doing core stability work, whether it's doing explosive work with kettlebells and box jumps and things like that. 
Cycling has a strength-based component to it. All right, muscular strength and endurance is your body's ability to put force into the pedals and resist the fatigue of doing it for a long time. It's one of the most common, most, most, most common weaknesses that I see in any of the cyclists that I consult with. That muscular strength and endurance, particularly muscular endurance, is the key to being able to absorb those huge amounts of high-intensity, low-volume work that will be done in the later base phases. Now, if you haven't been making muscular endurance a priority, you need, 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 need to think about adding that to your winter training program. It's going to make a huge difference. If you want to take it to the next level, add the muscular strength component to your off-season program, and that means get yourself in the gym, Get yourself working with a kettlebell, get doing some core stability work, doing some explosive work off the bike, doing some cross training. And at cyclocrossers, this applies double for you. You need to be off the bike doing something. All right. In the end of the season, the beginning of the off season, the early base phase, those are perfect time to build muscular strength and build muscular endurance. You can do these with specific intervals on the bike, by doing force drills, by doing low cadence, high tension work for longer periods of time to build that muscular endurance. Or you can do it off the bike, as I mentioned again, working in the gym, doing some body weight work at home, cross training, things like that. Those are absolute keys. Those are the two most common weaknesses that I consult people with. And I can almost guarantee you that by adding those two weaknesses to your training, your performance will increase by 10 to 20%. I can almost guarantee that. Note that it doesn't happen with everybody because not everybody is the same. Not everybody responds the same. Not everybody has the same amount of weakness as everybody else. But I can almost guarantee you that you will see anywhere between 10 and 20% improvement if you just focus on those two things during your off-season. All right, and if you want a little bit of guidance on strength training or strength endurance conditioning, you can check out my strength training for cyclists podcast. I'll put links for both of those in the episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 76, if you really want to take a look at both of those. Okay, let's get to the last thing that most uh, really, really good cyclists will do at the end of their uh, at the end of their cycling season, and that is going to be switching up their training. All right, so why do we need to switch up training? I just talked about this in my November issue of uh, my Tailwind Coaching newsletter, but let's just break it down here a little bit. If you've been following the same training regimen or the same program for a couple of years, I can almost guarantee you, your body is getting wise to that training program. I can almost guarantee it. The body is smart. It's intelligent. Your body is designed to be an intelligent, self-correcting machine. Once it has been placed under a stimulus and has adapted to that stimulus, it's smart enough to say that I don't need to worry about this anymore. I don't need to adapt any further because I'm already good enough. Now, this concept applies to volume, intensity, and the routine of those two things. I can guarantee you, if you did the same workout 
every other day, week in and week out, after about six to eight weeks, your body would stop adapting. You would plateau, you would see no change in fitness, and you would actually probably see a decline in fitness as your body becomes much more efficient at handling that stimulus. The same training routine, week in, week out, year in, year out, you're going to plateau. I get people that come to me all the time and say, I've ridden these miles, I've ridden 3,000 miles a year for the last five years. I haven't gotten anywhere. You know why you haven't gotten anywhere? Because your body's getting lazy. In fact, your body's getting smart. When your body gets smart, it's able to get lazy. So, you need to periodically switch up the kind of training you're doing in order to continue to challenge your body, in order to continue to get your body to adapt again. You need to force it to adapt by pushing it outside its comfort zone. Here's a good example. When you go to the gym, you will occasionally increase the amount of weight that you're lifting because you get stronger. If you don't increase the amount of weight that you lift, suddenly you won't get any stronger. Your body is able to lift that amount of weight and it doesn't need to lift anymore. It just needs to lift that amount. So why? would it increase its capacity to do anything? If you're able to work eight hours and nobody ever asks you to work nine or 10, why would you suddenly be able to do that? The first time somebody asks you to do a 10 hour shift when you're used to doing an eight hour shift, you come off it and you're smoked, you're beat. Because your body's used to an eight hour shift. You're used to an eight hour day. All right, the same thing happens with your cycling and your training therein. Once your body is attuned to the routine, to the volume, to the intensity, and to the variability of that workout or that training program, your body gets lazy. That's why you need to swap your training around. You need to watch your fitness grow again once you swap your training around. Now, this can be a multifaceted tip. This can be a multifaceted approach to your fitness. You could consider switching up some of your goals You could consider switching some of your goal events. Um, You could simply change how you train and the days you train on. All right, this is a real frequent one that I run into with people who say, you know, I've done the same goals. I've done the same program for the last three or four years. And I'm not getting better. I'm getting either worse at these programs or I'm just, I'm not getting improvement. If you've done the same crit series every year for the past five years, Your body pretty much knows that, you know, on Memorial Day, I'm going to do this race. And then on um, the middle of June, I'm going to do this race. And then on July 4th weekend, I'm going to do these two races. And then on um, the middle of August, I'm going to do this race. And then on Labor Day, I do this race. Your body gets used to that. So if you want to do that same series, maybe you switch up your number one goal for that series. So instead of focusing on July 4th, weekend as your A race, maybe you're going to focus on Memorial Day and Labor Day as your main races. That's going to change the way you train. It's going to change the way your body adapts. And it's going to kind of jumpstart that stimulus, that that adaptive protocol that your body goes through. 
if you want to switch up your goals completely, maybe you're a crit racer or a road racer, maybe you want to try doing a stage race. That's a great way to switch up your goals and switch your training and adapt a little bit differently. Now, the additional benefit of this is that as you start to try and adapt to a different kind of racing, you suddenly start to attack parts of your fitness that you never bothered to pay attention to before. So you have an added benefit of changing your training stimulus by way of changing your goals and your objectives. For those of you who want to maintain that same calendar that you have in the past years, if you really want to change the way your body adapts, try changing the days you train on. Instead of just doing a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Do a Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Do a Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday. Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday, Monday, Tuesday. Whatever the case may be. Switch up the training that you do and make sure you keep your body on its toes. Additional ways you can switch up your training, you can add higher intensity intervals to your training, things that you typically wouldn't do. If you're a time trialist, start throwing in some of those high intensity zone 6, zone 7 efforts to really stimulate your upper end fitness. Add some strength training to your program. Again, refer back to my strength training for podcasts, uh, for cyclist podcasts. <laughs> strength training for podcasters involves lifting a microphone, apparently. Uh, strength training for cyclist podcasts, those are going to really tell you how to add some of that strength component to your program. Add an additional long endurance ride um, in containing intervals. Add a group ride. Add a cross-training component to your program. Basically, look at your training program. Find out something that you aren't doing and add it in there. Very often, one simple change in a training program is enough to get your body to start adapting again, to change the way your body adapts. And that alone is sometimes enough to boost you up to that next level, to make sure that you hit that objective that you didn't hit last year. All right, but that's one of the keys that you need to consider doing during the fall season, during the winter season, that early winter season. At the end of your cycling season, consider switching up your training. Look back on your training logs, on your diaries, see what you did that was the same, and try to avoid doing it again next year. All right? So there you have it. You got five really great ways, five really great tips that the best cyclists do at the end of their cycling season. Even if you just take one of these tips and apply it to your own season, your own training plan, to your own training program, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to see benefits. You might not see that 10 to 20% gain, but hey, even a few percentage points is the difference between being first on the podium and being 15th or 20th on the podium. So keep that in mind as well. If you're one of those guys that's kind of at the cutting edge, on the razor's edge, and you want to look for those, quote, marginal gains that Team Sky talks about so frequently, grab a couple of these tips, give them a shot. That's probably going to be what you need to push you over the edge into that next level. All right. I want to thank all of you guys for listening to me and hanging out with me today. If you have any questions about anything I have talked about today, feel free. Shoot me an email at coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com or at gmail.com. Post on the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page or even post a comment 
on the episode show notes for this particular episode, tailwind-coaching.com slash 76. Don't forget to head on over to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast on iTunes and rate this, the show five stars. Remember that positive review, review really helps me move up those ranks. And of course, again, if you're interested in helping support the show, click that Amazon affiliate link. It's no cost to you. And it helps contribute a few dollars to hosting and bandwidth costs for Tailwind Coaching. So thank you so much again for listening and hanging out with me. I want you to ride fast. I want you to ride strong. I want you to enjoy riding your bike. And I want you to really evaluate what you can do to make next season great. Keep the shiny side up. Keep the rubber side down. I'll be talking to you all again really soon.